Hello, my name is Robbie Ventura, and I am your host here at the Velocity Cycling Podcast, where our one goal is to get you to fast faster. There is no one way to have great cycling performance. What works for some of us may not work for others. We really want to expose you to some of the greatest minds in sports performance, and hopefully we can try to figure out what works best for you to meet your goals and to meet your genetic potential. We're going to do one job and we're going to try to do it the best we can, and that is get you to fast faster. Hello and welcome to the Velocity Podcast. My name is Robbie Ventura. I'm going to be your host today, and I am so fired up to have the legendary Andy Potts in the studio today. He's just spent the last couple of days recording some incredible cycling classes here at Velocity, but we're going to ask him a little bit more uh, about his career and his trick, because I will tell you this, when he walked through that door to start doing his first classes, I saw an Andy Potts that was fitter, happier, more excited, and more motivated than any Andy Potts I have ever seen. We've been friends for a bunch of years, and I am just super excited to learn the secret because I've been asking him. He's kind of been holding it in. So hopefully in this podcast, we can teach everybody um, how to be durable, how to keep your career long, how to stay stable, and most of all, how to stay motivated and enjoy the journey. So Andy, welcome to the Velocity Podcast. We're, we're here to get you to fast faster. Um, welcome. Thank you, Robbie. Uh, I love your energy. It's always been a source of inspiration for me to see how much you want to give back, how much you want to teach others, all the lessons that you've learned. Hopefully we can kind of dive into some of those things. I, I will tell you right off the bat, I don't, I don't know if I have any secrets um, in terms of like tricks or anything like that. Uh, I will tell you that one word you did say when you introduced me on the nice introduction was... Um, happy. I am pretty happy these days. Um, I, I think it's, I don't know what it is, but I'm, I'm, I've always been happy, but I think I was so just militantly laser focused for all those years that now it's finally like, if it's there, it's there. If it's not, I'll try harder next time. Yeah. Well, I, I'll never forget when we did those, I, you and I went to the Chicago triathlon. It had to be like 10 years ago. And did those classes where we, what was it more? Don't tell me that. Yeah. I mean, Andy's 45. I mean, I, I, I didn't give him the proper introduction, to be honest. I talked about his personality, which to me is the most important thing. But the guy's won eight Ironmans. He's won over 30 half Ironmans. He's a world champion in the half Ironman distance. I mean, he's a Pan American champion, two-time Olympian. All that stuff is great. We have a lot of guests that are really, really good athletes. But what really is special about Andy and, and the reason why I'm excited to, to have him on the show is, is, is the type of person that he is. And he's always paying it forward. And I'll never forget, he's telling me it's more than 10 years. He's also making sure everyone knows that I'm 50 and he's only 45. Um, we did this talk about how to get athletes prepared that were nervous for the Chicago triathlon. Oh, yeah. I remember you talked about these two little guys on your shoulder. It was the best. And we had all the Vision Quest athletes at those talks. And they were like, Robbie, I've been listening to you for the last 15 years. 
I learned more from Andy Potts in that 45 minute talk than anything I've ever learned before. So thank you for passing it forward, continuing to educate. That was really, really fun when we did all those talks back way back when. I mean, I mean, the only thing that the reason it was impactful was it was a different voice. It's like why kids stop listening to their parents. <laughs> it's because there's a droning on about it. I don't think there was anything that novel there, but thank you. No, it was great. It was great. Um, so, you know, you and I were talking about this yesterday, you know, Tom Brady, um, you know, winning Super Bowls, Kelly Slater winning the oh. Bill Bong pipeline. I mean, how great was that? At, at the age of 49, Kelly yep. Slater wins the pipeline. And and I think having you come into the, the, the studio yesterday and just seeing your your fitness and seeing where you're at. Um, I'm going to ask you a few questions about longevity and durability. And the first I'm going to ask you is you've been in the sport for 20 years, swimming for 18 years before that. How has your training changed? We're going to start within the pool because you have a swimming background. You got into triathlon. You were the best swimmer in the water. Over the past 20 years, that has changed quite a bit. How is your swimming? Because I'm going to get into each sport here, but let's start with swimming. You're 45 years of age. How has it evolved and changed in the last 20 years? All right. So swimming as a sport has changed. And if you look at um, some of the nuances. So when I was getting good at swimming, it was in the early 1990s. And we were talking about how to swim fast. It was very, uh, you swim on your side and you swim, you, you try to drive on your side and you don't try to swim flat. Swimming is actually flattened out a lot. Um, you see... There's still rotation involved, but like some of the mechanics of swimming uh, have evolved and progressed. And so I swam all four strokes. There, uh, butterfly used to be this stroke where it was very bit you undulate, right? You go up and down like a dolphin. Now you get up and you flatten it out and you hydroplane. And that's what a lot of these strokes are doing. So I think one of the biggest tips and takeaways that you can take as an athlete looking at this if you're a triathlete an older person getting into swimming how has it changed well what we're looking for now in swimming is a flatter stroke where we lift the hips and thighs trying to get the legs out of the equation and away from the drag profile so the slowest part of a swim is people who have locked ankles and they it's just basically this counterweight and it's a full-on drag so if you can get a little bit more supple ankles, get the legs out of the way, then you, uh, then you can kind of swim downhill and then you flatten it out. And I used to be taught to enter my hand near my head as you rotate through and you enter at the head. Now what I'm teaching when I coach swimming is uh, your hand enters at your shoulder width. So once, as soon as your hand goes in the water, bang, you're right on top of the catch and you get that the shoulder can articulate better than if it's pinched or impinged and then you don't drop the, the elbow. So we're seeing a flatter stroke entering at the shoulder and more on top of the water, quicker, earlier breath as well. It used to be this labored breath where you'd rotate and it's just brah. Now it's, you wanna actually turn your head a little earlier, grab air early, then put that head back down as the hand passes the head. And so you're seeing a quicker first breath, you're seeing a flatter stroke, and you're seeing higher legs. When you swim with a wetsuit, we can elevate your legs and you get into the right wetsuit, bang, you're swimming downhill, which is super important. Is that also for competitive swimming or is this just Ironman draft swimming? Is that changed or is both of them changed? 
Both. Wow. And that's why you're seeing such big progression in the pool. And a lot, a lot of the lessons that I like to learn are from the pool. Um, where like I, I develop, it's kind of one of those things when you practice your stroke, you develop your stroke, and then you apply your stroke. Um, so I'm practicing and developing it in the pool in this controlled environment where I can really hone in on the smaller things. And just like riding inside, you can work and develop on different things. Um, and then, you know, running, I don't spend too much time running on a treadmill, but when I do, I really work on things like high hands, uh, working on stuff like that. But with swimming, it's gotten to the point now where number one, we're getting better athletes. We're getting better athletes that are pure swimmers at the Olympic level, um, on down and it's a more attractive and it's a sexier sport. Um, and we're reaching a broader audience. We have better women. Um, it's a more of a global sport. It was always global, but it's even growing even more. Uh, you can see the resources and development being in pushed into pool swimming and building pools and providing access. And so that's really awesome to see. And it helps grow the sport. And then when you take it into older athletes into the open water, um, I think some of those, those nuances are harder to grasp onto, but as soon as you do, as soon as you learn that early breath, uh, how to get the hips high, how to kind of push the chest down. So you're swimming downhill and how to get the hand entry. So you're taking advantage of the top quarter or top third of your stroke to really maximize the catch. Those are the three things that I see on how to help people get better at swimming. And I work on those things every day, uh, when I'm in the water. So yeah. Awesome. Thank you for those tips. That, I mean, like you went granular, which I absolutely love. Like anybody watching the Velocity podcast, it, that was like a nugget. That was a pro tip that um, that I learned. So, so thank you for that. How about the volume and the intensity yeah. of your training over the last 20 years? Are you swimming more now? Are you swimming different now than you did 20 years ago? I'm swimming different um, and I'm swimming less. Um, I'm trying to name, so oftentimes, yeah, do you remember that you're you're were born in the same decade? You remember that game show? Name that tune. Of course, right? In that tune, how do you? How many notes do you need to hear to be able to to answer what the the call was? So that's what we're trying to do with all of my training: is do as little as possible to be as maximally as prepared as possible. So I'd, in the past, because I was such a robust engine and I was so eager, I was let's do as much as possible for what's required maximally on, on race day. Now it's, I'm trying to do less, but make it mean more. And that means when I show up at the pool, I'm activating, I'm doing a series of activations. So when I dive in, every stroke counts. Uh, before I run, I'll do some knees over toes, some activating a posterior chain where every stride counts. And on the bike, it's, it, it's the same thing. I actually don't do, I, have a, I don't have a protocol that I do pre-ride, but the, the whole setup of, you know, strapping on the helmet, putting on sunscreen, making sure you have the right gloves. Are you wearing the right, are you wearing the right things? Are you, um, is your bike light on? All these small things I go, and every time I set up, is my the tire pressure correct? All these small things, that helps get my head around what's happening. And then I've come to the realization that it's all just heavy breathing and a little bit of focus. And that goes a long way. If you, if you, there was a stumbling block that I was getting to because everything hurt a lot. 
it's painful to get progress. And it doesn't have to be that way if you have in more intentionality. So I, I just have a little bit more um, purpose to literally everything. And I'm trying to maximize every moment I can train because, you know, when you're healthy, you can, and you can get the training in, you, you can see the returns. And, um, I've been, I've been fortunate to be healthy for a really long time. I don't get me wrong. I've had stumbling blocks and I've hurt a lot of things and injured a lot of things, surgeries and all those things. And who hasn't, if you participate in sports for a really, really long time. Um, so, but at the same time, like you can use them as learning, learning blocks and steps and what not to do. And I'd say the biggest thing that I, I can't promise you that I will never make a mistake again, because I'm going to make a ton of mistakes moving yeah. forward. But my goal is to not make the same mistake again. Fine. You make it twice. Fine. But don't you dare make that same mistake a third time. You better learn that lesson. And that's where I am right now. Yeah. Well, I'm I making, mean, making new mistakes. That's all. For sure. You know, in, I'm just going to summarize that because that was beautiful. I think the big elements to me in that are when you're a younger, you train hard and long and you do everything you can. You're trying to get as fit as you can, as quickly as you can. And as you get older and as you've made those mistakes that you've talked about, you realize the importance of protecting that training volume, protecting each and every workout and making sure, A, there's no slop because doing workouts that don't matter cause train cause fatigue and fatigue doesn't allow you to train as good the next time. So you want to make sure that each and every workout really has purpose like you talked about, but all those things you're doing beforehand and prepping your body gives you such a better opportunity to not only absorb the training better, but you take the risk of injury and overdoing it out down significantly as well. And one of the keys, one of the secrets that you said you don't have any to your longevity and being in some of the best shape of your life right now at 45 is the pre-work, is the intention, is making sure that the things you're doing are not only going to help you, but you can tolerate from a recovery perspective. And also you're limiting those. There's always going to be the opportunity to get injured, but you're limiting them by making sure your body is ready for each and every workout that you do. And to me, if people can just take that away from this podcast, they will be so much better off. I mean, there are some youngsters that listen to us, but face it, the, the, the most people that are in this sport are between the ages of 35 and 60. And whether they want to believe it or not, that's an aging athlete, right? And you have to protect, protect, protect that training volume. And it sounds like you figured that out. Figured that out. So yeah, there, there's, there's definitely like what's happening pre and what's happening post. So if you can really dial in what's the purposeful action in the middle, the meat of the workout, but the post stuff is some of that stuff gets neglected because you come home after a ride or a run or, or even a swim and, and you just want to like exhale and let it go. But like, I, I will stretch. Um, I have a slant board that I've made myself. Uh, and I find that a lot of my injuries come below my knee the older I get. There's just more bones, more muscles, more intricacies down there. So uh, I'll stand on a slant board. I'll really target like my posterior chain. I think your posterior chain is uh, it's a really big source of power, but it can be neglected in terms of the preventative things. Uh, making sure your low back is, is nice and uh, loose. 
Um, and yeah, making sure you, I like kickers. These are the, the like low back it bands, calves, like that, those, those grab you. And when they grab you in the past, they usually don't want to let go either. It, and then, and an injury simply doesn't allow you to get the volume in that you yeah. need to get in to be competitive at, at the level that you're at. Um, and I think that's the real bummer about injuries is, is that it's just, you can't train. And, and, and for a person who, who really enjoys training and enjoys the bike and enjoys the, the, the swimming and the running, I think mentally that also um, uh, plays a role. And I think that that, that, that really affects us long-term, but let's yeah. talk about, uh, I want to get to recovery in a second outside of the stretching, like kind of what you, how you value recovery and, and, and what tricks you have for the aging athlete in terms of getting more recovery. But talk about training volume, um, run, bike, and swim over the last 20 years. Are you doing, are you, have you increased cycling volume, decreased run volume, increased run? Like, just give me an idea of how the training has shifted in just in, in you know, general terms, 30,000 foot view. Yep. All right. So let's start swimming. I was swimming six times a week. Now I swim four. Um, I'm actually trying to swim a little bit more each time instead of swimming six times for four grand. I'm swimming four times for five to six grand. So the total volume isn't that reduced that much, but <clears throat> frequency. Yeah, the I'm actually, we probably all had these experiences where if you ever drive to ride or drive to run or drive to swim, you drive up, you're in the parking lot, you're literally in the car and you turn it off and you just don't even want to open the door to go into the building to go do the activity. If because I, I'm only swimming four times, that inertia, I actually will get out the door because I know I am only coming here four times. It's not only one day off. It's there is a little bit of a break in there. So mentally I'm more willing to to get out of the car. And then um it used to be a lot of it was basically if I was swimming four or five or six times a week four or five of them were threshold type workouts. Uh, now it's, I'll do one threshold workout, one above threshold workout where it's like VO two max work. And then a one workout where it's um, a, a medley or a mix of below at and above and toggling between, between the three continuously for the workout. So it'll be, you know, just below, right at threshold, a short little bout above, reset, do it all again. And then I'll move through that progression or I'll use it as a whole workout and go, well, just below, right at it, just above, and then shut it down. Um, so those are kind of my, my three core workouts. And then just like, you know how we have um, rider's choice where you just go out for a cruiser ride or go out for a cruiser run. There isn't a lot of that because of the structure of swimming. But I'm actually moving away from that a little bit, and I'm doing kind of this um, long swim where there is intentionality and there is purpose and there is focus, and I am thinking about technique, but it's a continuous swim because we are getting ready for whether it's a 1.2-mile swim, 1,500-meter swim, 2.4-mile swim. Those are long swims. And if you are uh, exposing your body to the strictly the duration of continuous movement in a weight-supported environment, horizontal with high heart rate, then when you get into the moment and it's uh, open water, then you get discombobulated and you don't 
have anything to lean on other than interval work. So my fourth swim is a long one and I never have done that before. And I think that it's helping between the years as much as it's helping my physiology. So that's swimming. I, I love, I mean, all those workouts, I mean, in, in philosophically, I, you know, I can apply things to the bike. I've done one Ironman. I, I don't have nearly the understanding in, 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 in coaching ability on that side. But when you think about that metabolic flexibility one, that one where you're going threshold, VO2, aerobic, that moving in and out of those energy systems really helps your body understand how to turn on and off different fuels to perform the exercise. And I think everybody who's watching this podcast, I really encourage you to do that either on the bike, either running or swimming at least once a week. It really helps give your body the ability to come in and out of different energy systems smoothly and with control. And what Andy's doing in the water is just so good for te to teach your body how to effectively do that. Because if you don't do that, when it happens in an event, whether you have to go up a steep hill or you have to accelerate it, whatever, it takes more out of you than it should. And these flexibility-based workouts like Andy just talked about should be an absolute staple in at least your run, bike, or swim at least once a week. So bravo, I, lo I love that from a swim perspective. Tell me about the bike now. Well, I will go one thing quick on the swim. And it applies to swimming, bike, and running. The higher you get and the, the, the sharper at end of the pointy end of the race, the faster you go, the more obvious it is when people change gears. What I find with a lesser experienced athlete is it's less obvious to the person watching them if they're going fast, kind of fast, or slow. It's all kind of meshed and like pushed together into one kind of effort. <laughs> and what I would really like to like encourage you guys at home to do is try to make the changes in gears obvious to anybody watching. If I were on deck, if I were to watch you just ride past me on the road, oh, he's really moving or oh, she is just smashing or she's not moving that quick or he's super, he's just take, recovering right now. There should be a very distinct difference between fast, cruising, and recovery. And you got to make those changes very distinct to, 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 the, to anyone observing. Cool. Yep. For sure. I, I think, you know, that, that range and to have mm -hmm. that range allows those differences to be better, right? If you have a high, high and a low, low, you can make those distinctions. But like you said, if you only have a limited range, it's kind of blah. You only have one speed. So work on those three speeds. I love it. How about yep. the bike, Andy? How has the bike changed over the last 20 years for you? I mean, obviously there's technology that has changed, but from a standpoint of how much and how hard, have you seen a big change? All right. So let's start with when I first started riding, it was indoors. I would ride outdoors to race. And I felt like I am answering everything that's required of me on race day by preparing inside. And it, I was good. But I what and inside riding was answering me 95, 98% of what was asked of me on race day because I'm time trial and I'm getting good at time trial in a triathlon. Well, as we have recruited better athletes and more people have seen different opportunities that are available to them, whether it's travel and friendship and experiences and all these things that are great, 
it's it's attracted better athletes and because we have better athletes it's more dynamic racing and i've moved so i spent probably 15 years riding inside almost exclusively um i would do the occasional outside training ride now i'm riding outside a lot more i ride with power instead of perceived level of exertion and heart rate so there is a detriment to the only thing bad about riding with heart rate is it lags behind the effort so the, it takes a little while for it to catch up to the to the effort and then if there's latent fatigue in your body then you get what something is called it's like uh, cardiac drift where you, the heart rate gets suppressed because you actually can't physically move fast enough to get your heart rate high enough and it happens in ironman racing a lot so i moved away from heart rate racing I still use heart rate as a recovery tool, but um, in terms of training, I don't train as much with heart rate. I train off of power on the bike, and that power is immediate. It is by the stroke. Um, I actually use like a, a three-second delay. Uh, I, have, I have a three-second average that I use, so it's less spiky than it possibly could be on a one-second average. That is probably the biggest thing I use uh, that has changed for me is riding with power. and. I know exactly what my zones are when it comes to uh, marrying my velocity, my effort, my output. All those things are married for me. I know exactly what they mean in terms of this heart rate gets me this watts, gets me this fast. When it's this windy, this is the course. I just, I've been riding for a really long time. I just know. And because I'm, I know the roads, I know what's expected. I know my body. And uh, again, just like in I, in my bike week is very similar to my swim week in terms of the planning. I ride at, um, above threshold, at threshold. Um, and for me, it's different. I use different uh, races to determine it. Like I'll use, okay, I'm going to do an Olympic effort or a sprint effort, a 70.3 effort or an Ironman effort. And those are kind of my, how I will label them, whether it's written or in my mind. And then um, like one day is 70.3 effort, which is a pretty high demand for me because uh, I'm riding at, it takes me about two hours to ride 56 miles at that 70.3 effort. And I know what wattage that is for me. And I try to spend, a, you know, when it's, when you're at that wattage, you just go and hit it. And it's fun to see that the bike computers these days, it's, a little gamification of it, but I also know like, oh, I just, I'm going to hit these things and it's no longer of, can I hit it? It's no, this is what you're doing today. And then I just go do it. And when I say these are the numbers and this is what the, what you hit, I think as an athlete, you have a standard. And if you know the standard, if you know what's being asked, of, whether that's a zone or a watt or a heart rate, the standard is the standard. You need to raise your level and meet the standard. There, is, like some days you just don't have it, but those are the days you kind of got to force it. Some days you got the good and you're whoa horses and you pull back and you just meet the standard. But if you want greatness and excellence out of yourself, you have to meet the standard. If you're continuously falling short, you're going to, you're going to be disappointed and there's no more pointing fingers at that point. 
you got to stop pointing fingers and start pointing them at you. If you have a coach and you have direction and you have purpose, you need to meet the standard and you need to raise to your level. And I know it's hard. Believe me, this is the space I live in, but you can do these things and set the right expectations. So you're meeting the right standard. So don't lie to yourself, set the right goals for you. Hopefully somebody's working with you on this, right? Get a coach, get somebody like Robbie, right? Or, or me, I'll coach you and we can work with you to get the most out of you. And, but we, we will be honest with you when it comes to the standard and you, hopefully you can meet it. Yeah. That, you know, I, I think that that's the concept of the typical thing for everybody, Andy, I think you see it at, at your coaching business, um, AP, I just, I, what you guys have been doing for so many triathletes across the country has been spectacular. Um, you and your team have done a great job. Um, but the one thing I, that I've been impressed with watching your classes here is the level of precision, some of your workouts include, but also some of the things that you're teaching people about the workout. I think what's interesting about the velocity classes that you ran is anybody can see a workout and try to do what they're supposed to do. But by you teaching them the whys and the hows during your classes in here, I believe everybody should take these Andy Potts classes. And the reason why is because a workout is simply just a workout. But when you add the context that Andy brings to the class, and he talks about the standard, he talks about the intervals, why you're doing the intervals, I think it really elevates the experience and it gives people that motivation, that opportunity to meet the standard like you're talking about. Yeah, well, thanks. Um, a long, well, a few years ago, you helped lay a lot of the groundwork for me. I was before I opened a coaching business, or maybe I was just fledgling and starting, or had the idea to do it. And I saw what you were doing at Vision Quest, and um, sometimes it's hard to see what's possible if someone before you hasn't done it. And we're starting to see barriers getting broken throughout different avenues of life right now. Um, but when I look at you, Robbie, I, I do see uh, the success that you've had. And with Thank you. uh, you're, you're not just it's it's more than just coaching. Like You have relationships with people. And it's it's like that was one of the first things you ever taught me was like it is about relationships. This is about people. I think they can learn the act. They can gain the knowledge of swimming, biking, running or, or biking by themselves. They don't need you. But if you create a really great relationship on a personal level, like you can do more uh, for them and for you. And like, so that, that was probably the biggest takeaway you've ever taught me. And I thank you for that. I appreciate it. Can you tell us a little bit about what people can expect during your classes? I mean, I, 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 I don't want to give away all the secret sauce. I want people to take the classes, but what are you teaching people indoors here at Velocity? What are the key elements of some of these workouts in general? And how do they apply to some of that stuff that you talked about that's important on the bike? Yep. All right. So number one is lots of people can write a workout and it's not what it is. It's how you're doing it and the intentionality behind it. And that's what we're really trying to drive with. Uh, I've taken your classes on velocity. You do the same thing. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to drive that same thing is how you're doing what you're doing, 
how you're how you're applying pressure to the pedals uh what's what's happening with your body what your body language is saying about how you're riding um and then are you getting mental buy-in and the mental buy-in happens because you understand the why behind the workout uh why we're doing why we're working below why we're working at why we're working above what you are cap- personally capable in that individual session and then if you continue to come back and you continue to develop and, and really hone those skills, you'll find that that dial gets turned because of purpose and because of consistency. So that's those are the those are the, probably the biggest words that we use uh, with velocity is consistency and purpose. Awesome. Um, la- just two last couple questions here about your year this year. Um, we didn't touch on running, so I just want you to give us a quick preview of running and how that's changed for you over the last twenty years. Probably the most dangerous sport of, of, of the three and, and probably the one that you have to use the most um uh sophistication in terms of maximizing volume and speed but not maxim you know not giving yourself a cost from an injury perspective and then nutrition so running and nutrition how that's changed over the last 20 years and what you're currently doing now all right so for running what i'd say is a really big aspect for running is um as a person, it comes last, specifically in travel. Like if you're just doing running, I would look for running to, it just takes a little bit of time for it to come around. And for triathlon, it comes last. So we're really trying to develop swimming, really trying to develop the engine with your riding because there's no impact involved and because they're weight support. So we're adding weight, we're adding gravity, we're having impact. So 800, 900 times your body uh, you're, you're, you're punching the bottom, you're punching the road and the road punches back. So there's that impact aspect of it. And or sorry, eight to t- eight to nine times your body weight sometimes is impacting on depending on how fast you're going. Um, and so it comes late. I used to be able to get away with three quality workouts a week. And then right in the middle of my career, it was, I could do three a week and then I, for two weeks and then two a week for two weeks. Okay. And that was kind of like the magic sauce. And now it's just two quality workouts a week. And then I have three. So I'm running five times a week because I'm getting that heart and lung fitness, which my heart and lungs, they don't care what I'm doing. They just are like, okay, we're time to work. We're working. Um, with running, it's I'll have three cruiser runs where it's just like, hey, I need some miles. And then I'll have two really dedicated workouts. One will be interval-based. And the other one will be like kind of tempo or long run based on my long run to get the biggest maximal value out of it. I've actually gone to, I'll add tempo in early in the early season, middle of the run of long run on the middle of the season and late on the long run as I'm getting closer to races. So my tempo becomes later and later in the run, which should hopefully um, simulate what's happening in races. Uh, we're looking for late power on the bike. We're looking for late speed on the run and how do you develop them? Well, you got to practice that in training. Uh, why would you go into a race where you have done none of these things to prepare your body for what's to happen and then expect greatness just out of the ether. And it just doesn't happen that way. You there has to be preparation for it. I'd say one of the biggest things that I'm uh, after I stopped uh, or after I turned 40, 
I stopped being surprised with my racing. I, it's been more than a decade, actually. I'm not, I'm really not surprised with how I race. Um, it's, it's a pretty clear indicator on how I'm preparing, um, and how I have prepared now a great preparation, fantastic preparation will not guarantee you a fantastic race, but it will guarantee you a fantastic recovery that you will be able to, the better you prepare, you will recover from that, that bout really well. But there is a little bit of magic that happens on, on race day. Uh, things do have to come together. You have to have the nutrition aspect that you talked about, but I would, I would temper people's expectations with, with running, especially the older, mature athletes, uh, aging athlete. It does come last and that's on purpose to keep you away from the small things that can come up from the pounding and be patient with it because, you know, even one quality run a week that can get the job done. You just need a little bit more time to, to make it happen. I, I I love that 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 evolution of the tempo and where it comes in that run. I just I've never heard that idea. It makes total sense. You're building that durability, and yeah. as you get more durable, you can tolerate it later. It's just, yeah. it, I mean, if you think about training in general, it's real practical. It makes total sense. It's just we, it takes us fifty years to figure this stuff out, right? To believe what actually you know comes natural. So love it, love it, love it, love it. Okay, last thing, nutrition. Tell us yeah. how it evolved. All right. So first starting out, it was um, put a bottle on your bike and try to drink it. <laughs> you know, it was whatever. Um, I'd get done with Olympic distance races. Be like, I'd go back to my bike and the bottle would be full. Like I would never even touch it. And now it's gotten to the point where um, I try to keep it simple and try to take some of the guesswork out of it. Again, there's the you know, try to implement it in training, execute it in racing. Um, I do a lot of the, uh, the, I don't know if this is, this sounds silly or not, but I eat like a kid a lot. Um, you ever watch a kid eat and they stop when they're full? <laughs> Crazy, weird how that happens. I actually do that. Um, I will stop eating when I'm full. And when, at the beginning of my career, it was just like food face happen, make it work. Um, now it's like, Oh, if I'm full, let's stop eating. If I'm hungry, I eat. I, I really listen to my body. Um, I know that sounds maybe too simple, but it's, if you listen to your body, your body's communicating with you all the time. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I got to go to the bathroom. Um, if you listen to it, it's you, you can start to find that rhythm and find like, I don't tolerate that. Well, Maybe I should stop eating that, whatever that is. Um, I don't like the smell of coffee, let's say. Well, if you don't like the smell, you probably don't like the taste. So maybe you shouldn't drink coffee, uh, if that were the example. Um, so where has it gone? So then I started doing a lot of gels, and I would get like a little, little constricted from the gel because I would just do gel. But then I started diluting gels and putting like putting them in the bottle and then I would dilute it with a, like a mix or just water so the um osmosality and the solubility of the water would would lessen and I would tolerate it better mm. then as I'm progressing through I'm like trying to figure these things out on the fly I wish somebody told me these things earlier but I found infinite uh maybe five plus years ago and I've cussed I have a custom formula for me so we've tested my body um, 
we did like a salt test to see where I, uh, where I am. And we kept the osmosality of the drink. So my, my gut can tolerate it. So it's not just, I hold the, the nutrients in my stomach where it can't be digested and dispersed. Weird, weirdly enough, our body, like you can digest calories in your mouth, but you can't digest. Uh, there's no, nothing happens through the esophagus and the stomach. We're just uh, passing it down to the stomach and then uh, breaking it down. It actually needs to go into the intestines to start to be absorbed into the bloodstream. And that does take time. It takes about 20 minutes unless it just sits in your mouth. So I will kind of, if I have a chew or, or something I'm eating, I'll wait a little bit if I'm eat, if I need to eat on a, on an Ironman race, most of the time I'm just, it's liquid calories and they go right to, and, and that process, it gets, um, uh, lubricated, a, good choice of words, uh, a little bit better with just liquids. And, um, I got the right formula. I dialed it in. Um, flavor profile is correct. And it's not just me, right? So anybody can do that with infinite. Uh, you can make, they, they will do a custom formula for anybody. And I wish I found it earlier. Um, it is, hopefully it's the right calories. Um, although that's kind of fluctuating with my fitness. Um, but it's very easy to change once you know what to change. Yeah. And have you noticed that as you, as you've evolved as an athlete, your body has learned to, to process more carbohydrate, therefore you can take on more carbohydrate. I think it's, it's important to teach these athletes the importance of being able to, to absorb and use carbohydrate as a fuel. I mean, it's really the rate limiting factor for any long course triathlete or long course gravel racer or century rider is the importance of carbohydrate and our ability to process it and provide fuel for, for, for working out. And as we evolve, hopefully we're able to process more. I mean, I know there's a limit. Some people say it's 400 calories. Some people say it's, it's different for everybody, but I think that's something you've probably taught your body to process more and more of as you've evolved. Yeah. I think there's two things there, Robbie. I think number one is, um, like glycogen in this regard is our energy source. So we need to, we need to get a quicker source of the glycogen through carbs. Um, really we've got three sources of ways to get nutrients. We've got fat, carbohydrates and protein. Um, if you're on a weight supported event, gravel riding, century rides, grand fondos, uh, the ride portion of the, of an Ironman or half Ironman or Olympic, you can have a little bit of protein in there. Um, and it helps satiate your body. It makes it so you're craving less, you're not craving food and, and hung, you're not that hungry. And then the other aspect is just like we train our muscles and we are training our mind, you can train your gut and you can train the body is amazing in that regard, right? You can train your gut to be more efficient. You can train your skin to be more tolerant of like a, a hot day, a sunny day. Like you can train your eyes, your, like all these things. You, you probably can't train your teeth. But that's about it, man. I'm telling you, the body is amazing. And you can go to amazing places if you teach it the right way to approach it. Yeah. Slow and steady and be consistent. I think things, things tend to change a little bit easier if you're consistent. And don't add any too much of anything at one given time. And it handles it pretty darn well. Um, yeah. So if, I'm going to give up. If you do get overwhelmed, like I have been overwhelmed by a situation, 
and I'll change lots of things. I walk away and I may have fixed the problem, but I've changed so many things. I don't know what the actual change agent was, but it's fixed and I don't care. So, so (laughs) what? But that is not the ideal approach. You want to try to change a single variable to try to get illicit improvement. If it's not working, then you change something else. We're on that, that own science project. But I know that people do get frustrated with whether it's their fitness or their health. I think those are probably the two biggest things. And they'll change a ton because they just need change. Um, and you don't know what, what really and, was. And they're getting lots of stimulus. Now with social media, I mean, every conceivable product and, and training methodology is hitting these people. And they're like, oh, that looks pretty good. It worked for that guy. It worked for that guy. And next thing you know, whether they're better or worse, they have no idea, like you talked about, of what thing that they came into their into their purview of what actually works. So I'm um, guilty. Yeah, we all are. I don't care who anybody watching this podcast. I guarantee you've changed too much in your career or your training. A hundred percent. It's okay. Well, a lot of times we learn from mistakes, but if we don't know what caused the mistake, like you talked about, it's really, really difficult to change and learn. Now, remember what you said in the beginning of this podcast. You don't want to make the same mistake twice. Yeah. And I think it takes it takes twenty years of experience in sport, or thirty-eight, or tw- wait, you've been doing sport for thirty-eight years. I've been doing it for over forty years. That is a hard lesson to learn. And it really, really is. And I think it's getting harder for these young athletes because there's so much more stimulus. There's so many more ideas floating out. There's so much more information. So that in itself, again, if they can take away one thing from this podcast is to be selective on the things you do try and then make sure you really try them and have measurable measurable things you're looking at to determine if a product worked or if a training idea worked. And I think it's getting more, it's getting more difficult in, in, in this modern world because there's so much information out there. But I think that was a great takeaway, Andy, is just don't make the same mistake twice because you're going to make mistakes and that's how we're going to learn. But hopefully you know what the mistake was. Right. Um, yeah. I think I, there's something to being a scientist. That's pretty cool. Um, I don't know if you ever did science projects as a kid, but um, camp. yeah. You went to science camp. Yes. <laughs> nice. All eight. It's great. Cool. Yeah. So I think, I think we can take, uh, hopefully we've had some of those experiences and you know that it can be, it can be a source of enjoyment to, to see if, if something works or not. Yeah. It does not have to always be, you know, perfunctory. Okay. I'm going to ask Andy two more simple questions. Then we're going to be done. The first one is, Age group triathletes, what is the biggest mistake you see them make on a regular basis? So instead of you learning from your own mistake, Andy's going to tell you one that do that everybody makes this mistake. Don't let it happen to you. Biggest mistake is you stop listening to your body. I'm guilty. I cut myself off at the neck. <laughs> I tell my mind's telling me one thing. My body's telling me something else. My mind says, we're going. My body says, dude, you forgot to feed me or, hey, you remember that, you know, you, whatever it is, you just stop listening. You're, when you're, when you're out racing, when you're out training and your body says, I would really love some salt right now. You know what you should do? It's probably go get something salty. Um, but you don't because you're cutting yourself off the neck. And uh, that's probably the biggest, um, biggest thing that I see. 
And we do it on an individual level to ourselves. So you can imagine what happens when we bring other people into the equation and we stop listening to other people who give you sound advice, whether that's a coach, whether that's a spouse, whether that's your kids. Shoot, your dog could be looking at you, telling you, hey, man, you are doing dumb things right now. Can you please listen to me? I'm trying to get you to get me to go outside because otherwise I'm going to pee on the, on the carpet. Um, listen to me. I'm barking at you. I'm scratching at the door and you're not listening. So let's, let's start using, you, you can do a lot more learning by listening and, and that starts with you. So I'd say that's number one. Awesome. My last question is if you were going to tell people, um, what are the two most important elements from a standpoint of recovery? We've talked a lot about the training. We've talked a lot about nutrition. We've talked a lot about incredible things, Andy. Let me just say this before this last question. This has been incredible. I continue to learn. I think one really important thing that I know you feel and everybody feels is we are still have the ability to learn, 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 learn. So be curious, everybody, and listen to this podcast again if you have to, because there has been some absolute gems in here. Give us the two most important elements um, to recovery that you feel are game changers for um, aging athletes, current athletes, age group athletes, all athletes? Yeah, I'd say, you know, I might struggle on number two, but by, by far and away, it, number one is sleep. Um, it's not even close. If you look at the, um, the human species, we sleep a lot. I don't know how we compare on the hierarchy of like mammals or even just uh, anything out there. But when you look at mammals and, and humans, we're like, we're at a third. Uh, we need to be spending a third of our time for uh, sleeping. So how do you get better at sleeping? Um, why is it important? Well, we're trying to give your body a reset um, there are different moments in sleep that are really important that you make sure you got to make sure you hit every night. Uh, some of the key things you can look these up, but like you want to sleep in a cooler environment. Um, you want to have the right pillow, got to have the right bed. Um, and then you want to make sure it's super dark and quiet, dark, quiet, cool. Those things you can, uh, comfort, those things you can control. Um, you live in a noisy place. You can get earplugs. I don't like earplugs. Go over the ears. I don't like over the ears. Well, uh, put on put on some like sound protection on your wall. These are things you can change. Uh, I charted my sleeping one time uh, before an Ironman for the Ironman World Championships, and I was I thought I could perform well, and I thought I had a good chance to get on the podium and. Um, I was like, hey, I'm going to chart everything, see what I'm doing right. So if I get it right, then I'll repeat it. If I get it wrong, I'll make a change. Good. And I tracked it for six weeks leading up to the race. And uh, I was 11 hours and 15 minutes a night. Can one, one shot, one sleep, go. And it was 11.15. And I think what you see with people who are really great at, um, like at athletics Yes, they are. They have coordination and hand-eye coordination. And, uh, they can put a ball through a hoop or they can, uh, you know, 
put a, put a puck to a net and they like you take capture the puck out of the air or whatever it may be. They're very good at the skill development, but what else are they doing that are really uh, above grade in terms of like species evolution? And they usually you will find that they're good at sleeping. It's very rare, especially as a, an endurance athlete, that you'll find a bad sleeper amongst the top of their pursuit. So sleeping by far, number one, get better at it. Um, ooh, number two, in terms of recovery. Um, what do they miss on? Is it nutrition? Is it massage? Is it enough rest? I mean, like, what do, pe- what do you think people miss on that number two? Sleep is awesome. I'm yeah. in a hundred percent agreeance with you, but that number two, I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. Number two, I think there's, um, I think, I think you want to decompress mentally. Uh, I think that really helps to move away from, and if you're living in the space and you can never leave it, that's certainly difficult. Awesome. Uh, I think that. What are ways you do that? Like, I mean, are you meditation or just other interests, other sports? Like yeah. what, how do you get it, away from the stress? It's other interests. Um, like I've got kids, so that certainly helps. Um, I think well, here's like, you know, maybe it may, maybe it could be um, family or friends that kind of give you back to, um, so you get less self-involved. What is really nice about having loved ones and people close to you and people that you can depend on is they count on you for you. They don't really care if you're great at riding a bike or you're awesome at, you know, dribbling a, a soccer ball or dribbling a basketball. They don't really care that much. They're like, great, that's neat. And that's exciting, but they like you for you. And they also will bring you down a level uh, off your high horse if you're on one. So you'd be like, no, nah, dude, you're you're on dish duty. Like get get to washing those dishes. Um Love or it. whatever whatever it may be. I think that there's a really healthy disconnect that needs to happen. And it could happen through reading. Um uh it can happen through, you know. I think there are definitely definitely other physical modalities that you can do to recover, like um, massage, like you mentioned, or compression. And compression is good. Blood flow. You want to enhance blood flow when you're not moving at like a high respiration rate. Yep. If you can get good blood flow through uh, elevating your feet, I use something called Mark Pro, and that really helps. Um, it's kind of like passive blood flow because what's happening there is why blood flow and why compression. Um, I use it to uh, enhance recovery because every time the the blood circulates through your body, it's bringing new nutrients to whether they're ailments or healthy damaged cells or healthy cells where they're recirculating and bringing in fresh nutrients can really promote that recovery process. So uh, I think it starts with sleep and extends into massage, Mark Pro, and things like uh, compression, um, things like that. And I, I actually, I, yeah, I've been with CEP. They're a compression brand, and they've been they've been awesome for me. So, Andy, so, I, you know, I just I, I love I love your number two. I think that it kind of starts our starting of our podcast and the importance of relationships and what that brings to us. Right, I think it gets lost, right? We get so focused on our training that having a meal with our family or people that we care about, strengthening those relationships 
is the best recovery we can get. Um, and I think you said it best. It takes the pressure off of ourselves and our, and our performance, and it really puts it on something that means a heck of a lot more to us than our performance, which is our relationships. And, and I've never heard somebody give that number two. And it's just another reason why the sport of triathlon, the endurance community loves Andy Potts because he values relationships so much so that it's the way he recovers. It gives him his energy. It creates, it, it, it completes him, right? It, it, it fills him with nutrients beyond a sports drink. And, and to me, that's just brilliant. I mean, I've never ever, I've asked that question a lot. This is the first time I got the answer. It's one of the best answers I've ever got. So thank you, Andy Potts, for joining us today. Thank you for being a guest on Velocity. I mean, you have been spectacular. Anybody watching this podcast, I encourage you 10 times over to take Andy Potts' Velocity classes. You will learn a ton. Like you did in this podcast, even more and more information about how to be a great cyclist, how to be a great triathlete. And um, it's just spectacular. So Andy, thank you again. I appreciate you being a guest on the Velocity Podcast. Thanks for having me, Ryan. You're awesome.